lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace, Todd Erzin, and Aaron McIntyre. They're here with me as well. If you plan on joining us today, there's several ways you can do so. 888-900-3393. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, at Parlor at Steve Dace there. And then YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can go to get free samples of this show that you can watch and then share with others at YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. Conversation today coming up at the bottom of the hour. Read a, a good piece of analytical reporting over at the Daily Wire about polling. And, uh, you know, Fox News came out with another slate of of polls that were very bad for Donald Trump late last week. Um, One of his campaign spokesmen, who's a longtime friend of mine, Hogan Gidley, went on Fox News to basically call BS on their polls. And and a conversation went back and forth with uh, one of the anchors at Fox News defending the efficacy of their pollster, saying, hey, I know these people. They're not doing fake news. And Hogan Gidley still, you know, still dropping that the polls are fake news and not the numbers that they see. I'm not going to get into that. I'm more interested in the analytical way the Daily Wire approached this back and forth. And I think it is a vital tool to because this is rarely done. What the Daily Wire did here is just rarely done. It's rarely done for sure uh, within mainstream media circles. But but even within our own realm, you don't see this very often. And I think it's important to understand the efficacy of polling because we're down to less than 100 days until the election now. And we're going to get more and more of it than ever before uh, the remainder of the way. So we're going to have that conversation because, you know, one of our things on this show is uh, we like to encourage people to critically think for themselves. Right. So we're going to do that coming up at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we're going to talk about racial reconciliation, like real racial reconciliation. What does it look like? How do you get there? And we're going to be joined by an individual that is attempting to build some of those bridges right here in my own city. And we're going to talk about that next hour of the show in our Monday town hall. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron running down what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the best news in quite some time. Grace Community Church in Southern California, pastored by Dr. John MacArthur, released the following statement recently regarding California's repeated attempts to shut down corporate worship in churches due to the coronavirus. Quote, in response to the recent state order requiring churches in California to limit or suspend all meetings indefinitely, we, the pastors and elders of Grace Community Church, respectfully inform our civic leaders that they have exceeded their legitimate jurisdiction and faithfulness to Christ prohibits us from observing the restrictions they want to impose on our corporate worship services, end quote. When Pastor MacArthur got up to preach on Sunday, this happened. (laughs) 
My, that's a little unusual. And now back to your regularly scheduled demise of Western civilization. Anarchy was the appetizer, main course, and dessert on many American cities once again over the weekend as thugs and rioters continued to protest only Allah knows what. In Austin, a Black Lives Matter rioter armed with an AK-47 was interviewed and said, I think all the people that hate us and, you know, want to say to us are too big of a to stop and actually do anything about it. Later that evening, the protester was shot dead by whom authorities say was a driver of a vehicle who got into a confrontation with the rioters. In Eugene, Oregon, it was the shootout at the OK Corral, minus the shootout part, as a video surfaced online of an Antifa terrorist in a guns-drawn standoff with a man who was presumably trying to drive his truck through the riot. That particular standoff ended peacefully with nobody shot. In Portland, Oregon, Black Lives Matter and Antifa thugs brought a blowtorch to a peaceful protest, ostensibly trying once again to burn the federal courthouse in the city. ABC News tweets, protesters in California set fire to a courthouse, damaged a police station, and assaulted officers after a peaceful demonstration intensified. Jerry Nadler, your thoughts? That's happening in Portland right now? That's a myth that's being spread only in Washington, D.C. And now a coronavirus update will start in Australia, where they seemingly have more sense about delineating between public policy and the personal effects of viral illnesses. I know death is okay, but welcome to life. Death is part of life. And we are killing more people by keeping ourselves locked down than we are saving. That is the basic point. Economics professor Gigi Foster has a rather shocking plan. She believes rather than mask up, it's time for Australia to man up. And that means instead of trying to beat this virus, we should meet it face on by getting back to business, even if that sees more deaths. What are we going to wait for? One year? Two years? Five years? Till those people who had COVID-19 are on their deathbed? Oh, and they get an extra you know, year that, they, that they're in the grave. That's tragic, but we cannot afford to wait around. Back stateside, it appears the second wave has hit its peak in the Sunbelt states. Data through last weekend in Arizona, Houston, and Central Florida. Three of the so-called hotspots in the last month or so seems to show new infections hitting their peak. In other news, Netflix has a new show called The Babysitter's Club, and a recent episode was devoted to young girls exploring their gender identity. Okay, took a while, but we finally found a file for a Bailey Del Vecchio. Is 32 Burnt Hill Road still the current address? Yeah. Have you been giving him fluids? If he's dehydrated, we'll need to place an IV. Have him change into this. I don't want the blue one. Um, well... I hear someone's not feeling well. Let's take a look at the little man. I know that you guys are busy, but as you would see, if you looked at her and not her chart, Bailey is not a boy. And by treating her like one, you are completely ignoring who she is. You're making her feel insignificant and humiliated. And that's not going to help her feel good or safe or calm. So... From here on out, please recognize her for who she is. And finally, a video from earlier this year before all of this started that went viral over the weekend. It shows two elderly people meeting each other for the first time after being separated in the hospital for four months. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Patriot Mobile. While the left embraces cancel culture, 
maybe get in on the action ourselves. Cancel your leftist-supporting cell phone provider and make the switch to America's only conservative cell phone carrier, and that is Patriot Mobile. They share your values. They'll never charge you hidden fees. And unlike Big Mobile, they won't send your hard-earned money to Planned Parenthood or other leftist causes. So you get the same reliable nationwide service, and you get to support a company that loves this country and shares your values and supports our Constitution. Switching is easy. Keep your phone number, bring your own phone, or buy a new one. And right now, when you join their family of freedom-loving Americans, you can get free activation plus a free gift with the offer code Steve. That's free activation plus a free gift with the offer code Steve if you make the switch at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Or go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Again, get a free activation and a free gift at patriotmobile.com slash Steve. All right, let's get to what's in the montage. First, let me tell you this real quick. In the overtime today, uh, in the overtime today, we are going to discuss, I think, I think it's the most important article I've read so far this year. And it's a column published over at Newsweek by one of the leading public health epidemiologists at Yale. I have no idea what this gentleman's core value system is. <clears throat> Pardon me. I don't know what his politics are, and I don't care. I don't. I don't care. I mean, I'm just going to assume, given that he works at an Ivy League school. It's probably likely that he didn't vote for Trump in 2016 and probably not for the reasons that we didn't. Okay, Um, but who knows? I mean, maybe he's the needle in the haystack. But if I'm laying odds, those are probably pretty good. Right. Very much. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, go on a blood oath that you wouldn't vote for a Republican like Mitch McConnell to be in the Ivy League uh, health department these days, let alone one like Donald Trump. So. What he wrote, though, a few days ago about hydroxychloroquine. Well, let me just say this. I'm just going to I'm just going to read this in the overtime later today and we're going to react to it. I think it needs to stand on its own. Because what we've literally seen for the last going on five months now in America is something sick. Very sick. Maybe even evil. Really, when you think about it. For the last five months, one of the leading public health experts in this country wrote in the pages of Newsweek a few days ago that sectors of this culture are so eager to score partisan political points that they have recommended people die of COVID-19 who didn't have to. I don't know how else to put it. If, if what he's writing is accurate, that's the implication of this. That in order to, to score points for stupid politics, folks in the media and certain people in political sectors have, have spent months now advocating even some of the people reading them, voting their way, supporting them, die 
in order to score cheap political points. But, but I'm going to share that coming up later today in the overtime. BlazeTV.com slash Dace is where you can go to subscribe to Blaze TV at a discount. BlazeTV.com slash Dace so that you don't miss today's overtime or any of the exclusive content we do at Blaze TV all the time. All right, let's, let's get to the rest of what Aaron has in his montage. For those of you that are outside of the evangelical subculture, maybe I'll just try to take these in the order. Um, for those of you on the outside of the evangelical subculture, I don't know that I could explain to you what it means within that sect um, for somebody of the stature of John MacArthur to defy his state government. But this is, this is one of the most respected evangelical teachers alive in the world today. And one of the most respected of the last, I'd say, 40 to 50 years. And he's also one that for many years taught the American Revolution was a sin against Romans 13, that they should have submitted to the governing authority of King George. So when you throw all of those things together into the mix... This is pretty significant within within American evangelicalism, which probably represents somewhere around, when you look at the demographics nationwide, about 30 million people. I mean, uh, MacArthur is one of our most prolific thinkers in American evangelicalism. And if you're an American evangelical minister, and you live in a state that says, we're fine with riots, but you can't have church. That would be California. Uh, you live in a state like Nevada, where the Supreme Court says that you can have you know, all kinds of people fill up the casinos and the strip clubs, but you can't have church. If you're abiding by that, I have bad news for you. You're, you're, maybe the biggest fig leaf that you've had to cover up uh, your shame has been taken from you. Because all kinds of your people are going to find out MacArthur's calling BS on this. And that means they're going to start coming to you and asking you when you are going to. This is going to be the right kind of peer pressure. The anarchy in the streets. There, there, there's a debate happening on the right about this. First of all, anybody who says this it violates federalism to send in the feds, just don't take them seriously. They're not serious. That's a lot of people. Steve. Then write them all down. Take none of them seriously. All right. Federalism works both ways. The point of federalism is not the main point of federalism is not the limiting of, of the jurisdiction of the federal government. That's not that's not the point. That's the effect of it. The federal government's jurisdiction is limited via federalism, but it's not the point of it. The point of it is to protect your individual liberty. That's the point of it. And in most cases, the limiting of the jurisdiction of the federal government will do so. But not in all. Can you guys think of a precedent, I'm trying to think, in American history at all, of Democratic governors, public officials, mayors, who didn't want to enforce the law and subjected their people to lawless abuse instead 
and a Republican president who sent in the feds to say, no, no, I, I took an oath to defend myself or to defend um, um, my country against people like you. Can, I, has this ever happened before? Can you think of a time I, that it's occurred? I maybe? think, ironically, it might have even had something to do with race, Steve. If- in, indeed, indeed. And the, the guy who was the Republican president at the time, if I recall, what was his name? What was his name? I like... Uh, uh, not ringing a bell. Oh, Ike! Yeah, that Ike guy. Did he know a thing or two about enemies to the Constitution, foreign and domestic? Had he Just, had he had any prior experience with said fiends? Can you think of? I think he pl- planned like a little skirmish or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like a private little show of force? Yeah. No one really noticed at the time? No. Right, right, right. I'm not seeing right. this. Yeah, a it, 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 totally obscure event, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this you're, that's a lie. Don't take any of those people seriously. And I don't even like some of them. Just, they're all wrong. They're all wrong. They're all wrong. No government has the right to do which God that which God says is wrong. They don't. And governments don't have rights. States don't have rights. Cities don't have rights. Counties don't have rights. We don't have government rights. We don't have civil rights. We don't have racial rights. We don't have group rights. We have God-given rights given to you as an individual, regardless of all those other identifiers, because you're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of the God from whom our rights come. That's what we have. So I'm not even going to debate that. That's just not even worthy of discussing. What is an interesting debate is the idea that this is a trap. That Trump is being lured into acting here because it will cause bloodshed in the streets, and then they can turn around and call him an authoritarian. I think there is I think there is merit to that analysis. But here's meaning that I am sure that's what they will do. In fact, you're already seeing it, right? We're already seeing this pivot occur as Trump is now beginning to tepidly act. My definition of how I would act here might be a lot different than most of yours. I mean, my definition would be uh, we'd be making examples out of people if it was me. Otherwise, there's no point to going in, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, we'd be making examples out of people. We'd be making you famous. We'd be embarrassing your mamas and daddies, all of you 97-pound anifo wusses who are almost all white, whose daddy's got, you know, in, the, in your cul-de-sac you grew up in, a coexist bumper sticker on his, on his, on his uh, back bumper. I, I, I mean, we'd be, you know, running the, you know, whitehouse.gov, your name, making you famous. Here's another little dweeb, spoiled brat. I mean, my, my definition of how we should act here is different because I, I also think beyond the lawlessness, um, Islamists, people who really have the ability to do harm to this country around the world are watching us put up with this level of domestic unrest and asking themselves, what will they let us get away with around if we try? That's why I would, that's the other reason I'd be making a very strong example. But, the the reason I disagree with the analysis is there's no lukewarm hell. Meaning, Trump can't possibly become un, more unpopular by letting this go on, right? I agree. The only, so, in this situation, I'm not arguing this is an absolute, by the way, but in this situation, if it was, if, if we were, if we were just debating Chaz, and I 
didn't agree with it then. I, I mean, that's a foreign invading army. But if it was one particular city over and over and over and over again, while the rest of the country looked relatively calm, you could absolutely isolate this as this is what happens when you let my political opponents get control, right? You could do that. And you can make an example out of them politically another Correct. way. This is systemic. And you can't go out there and argue this is what Joe Biden's America looks like when it's your America right now. It's what your America looks like. It's systemic. So I, I don't, I'm, I'm sure that analysis is correct of what the Democrats will do. I mean, this is an election year. They're not going to give him credit for anything. And I think if the shoe was on the other foot, it would, well, I can't say that. And Chris Christie made sure to give Barack Obama a big hug before the 2012 election. Remember that? Okay. I do. Maybe even a kiss on the cheek. So you're right. If it was the other way around, you sure. I mean, Republicans would bend over backwards to let. In fact, they'd probably be telling you, we're going to vote for our Republican nominee, but the Democrat president's better than him anyway. But in an election year, you cannot expect the Democratic Party is going to give Donald Trump credit for anything. It's not about what they think or the media thinks. It's about what the American people think. Too much of conservative thought is based on the bubble of reacting to mainstream left media thought. And we become trapped by it. So that even if we're reacting to that, we, we, are, we are allowing that to set the premise of our own agenda, our own talking points, our own thought processes every single day. It's just a reaction to them. So they're the alpha. What Trump needs to look like right now is an alpha. Bigly. So I, I, don't, I don't see that there's any political loss whatsoever. If he were more popular on a personal level and everything that we didn't have, the corona fascism and everything else going on, you could see, and, 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 the, and his polling looked better and it looked like he was cruising the reelection. I could see an argument for, that yeah, was the George W. Bush argument in 2004, right? I'm personally popular, but my re-election numbers aren't good. Do we really want a whole bunch of body bags out of the Anbar province between now and the election and upset the Arab street? Remember those arguments? Yes. Let's just win this election, then we'll take care of it. They won the election five seconds later. They sent the damn Marines in and started slaughtering the bad guys. Okay? I, I, I get that argument. I just don't think it applies here. It's systemic. It's your country. It feels like things are coming apart at the seams. I think it looks. it's a terrible look for the president to look passive and wimpy. As he has, frankly. I think he needs to look stronger. And in essence, if you look at American history, when the American people in any era, in any generation, have been given a choice, even on issues they weren't sure where they stood, did they side with the side that looked strong playing its hand or the one that looked weak? They have always historically sided with the, with the, with the side that looked strong. Every single time. Every time. I mean, they agreed more with what John Boehner and his agenda was. That's why they voted to make him speaker. But they kept reelecting Barack Obama every time he spanked John Boehner on a daily basis. People always respect strength more. That's human nature. That's just, that's 6,000 years of human history. Trump needs to look more authoritarian, frankly. He needs to look stronger. France... Germany, Spain, Australia, Vietnam. All seeing an increase in cases in their countries. Have you noticed this? Yeah. All these countries had massive lockdowns. 
Israel is another one. Israel is even now threatening not to send the kids to school in September. Benjamin Netanyahu has frankly been beyond ridiculous on this issue all, all year long. Terrible. I don't, what else do you say to, to a guy? I mean, the first lockdown they did was beyond draconian. It didn't work. So now his answer is, let's do it again. I, I mean, what do you say to that? That's just terrible. And you have to ask yourself, you know, I've made this point. I started making this point in the Obama years. When there was two options. Are we just this bad at this? Or is it something else, right? When you persist in pursuing policies that clearly do not work, you leave people no alternative but to get suspicious about your motivations. Because it doesn't make sense to just keep doing what doesn't work. It doesn't make sense to most people. Why, that doesn't work. Why would you keep doing it? Why would you not water your lawn? Why would you not drink water? Why would you not eat food? Why would you not take a bath? When you don't do what obviously works and you keep doing what obviously does not, then people start asking, are you that dumb? And at first they'll think you're just that bad at this. But then after a while, they'll start getting more suspicious about your motivations. Would there any be, as, as Twitter celebrates Vietnam's lockdown this morning, would there be anything else in recent history that would have you suspicious that the government, government of Vietnam may not necessarily have the individual merits and freedoms and liberties of its people among the things that it cherishes? Todd, can you think of anything in recent history whatsoever? There's a lot of this going around. Yeah. They don't, they don't work. I wish that they actually did. We'd be out of this right now I wish that they actually did but they don't they don't work they don't work did you see that former Obama doctors with yeah that? yeah he's advocating we essentially yeah. do even what, what we already tried another four to six weeks except this time Harsher. Well, well that's well that's what he's saying okay that he just wants to double it now like there's no essential workers now is what he wants like truckers are off the road interstate travels banned everything so no essential workers a total quarantine 10 years ago when barack obama was president is the last time we had a serious pandemic it was known at the time as h1n1 now over the weekend america crossed the line of four million cases right Another grim milestone marked by our media. Do you know how many cases there were of H1N1 10 years ago? And they eventually just stopped mass testing. Do you know how many there were? It's going to make me sad. It's going to make you very sad. Do you know how many there were, Aaron? Do you know? More than this. It was, it's, it's, it's slightly more than this. Probably not as many more as you might think. 60 million. So a lot more than you might think. 60 million cases of H1N1 is what we had in America 10 years ago. 60 million. And they stopped testing. They stopped doing mass testing in the Obama administration. 60 million cases is what we had. We didn't shut down a damn thing 10 years ago. Nothing. 
for H1N1. The look on your face, Erson, says what? It's a, uh, it's a psychosis. I, we've all gone collectively mad. This is what, when I say progressivism is cancer and said it before I ever heard of a thing called coronavirus, this is why. We, we were on the edge of madness before this, and now we are simply incapable of doing what, quite frankly, is the remedial math of dealing with this pandemic. I told you before, and we, if we could have picked a pandemic, it would have been this one. We're failing basic math. What the economist who, she's just going to do math. The economist in Australia is like, Australia's going back into lockdown. They just relocked down Melbourne. For months, Western media all over the world fawned over Hong Kong's mask mandate, saving Hong Kong from the Wuhan coronavirus. It's in its third wave of lockdown as we speak. They don't work. (laughs) Believe me, sitting here on July 27th, I absolutely wished the lockdowns worked. Because if they did, life would be a lot better today, right? Yeah. If they worked the way we were promised, that what we were sold back in April, when we had to go, when it wasn't, when it was just now 30 days to st- slow the spread, which just meant indefinite servant, uh, servitude, I, I wished they worked. I wished it worked. Life would be a lot better right now. They don't work. They don't work. Because the minute you let all these people out, they just get exposed again. These people aren't stupid. They have to know this, right? So then what's the other motivation then? So let's have a quick conversation about pain, shall we? Whether it's back, knees, neck, or shoulder pain, the underlying cause could very well be inflammation. And you want to defeat that inflammation before it defeats you and causes perhaps permanent damage. For some help in that fight, take a look at Omega XL backed by 35 years of clinical research. 35 years. Omega XL attacks the inflammation that is causing your pain. Pain relievers, topical rubs, they can help to mask, there's that word again, they can help to mask the problem for a time. But Omega XL neutralizes the inflammation that causes painful, stiff joints and muscles. I use this as part of my daily health regimen, particularly post-workout recovery. I'm seeing great results with it. I'd urge you to take advantage of their deal right now. Buy one, get a second bottle for free. So buy one, get one free. When you order Omega XL right now at OmegaXL.com slash Steve. That again is OmegaXL.com slash Steve. One more time, OmegaXL.com slash Steve. You can also give them a call. 800-844-4888. 800-844-4888. So... We are, I think today's 99 days until the election. Correct. That's true. I mean, in in the years you've been either listening to this show or working for it, can you recall an election year, not just presidential, any election year, where there has been less breakdown of polling data? No, not even close. I don't, uh, like, I couldn't even tell you what they say right now. 
every other year of my career, I could tell you on a day-to-day basis what the what the current real clear politics polling average was. Oh yeah, and then could probably off the top of my head tell you what it what that means historically, given the benchmark of where we're at right now. Right? You Jones about those kind of things. Yeah, I, I I couldn't tell you. I I don't even know the last time I even looked at it. I don't know what it is. And I, I don't know how much it matters. <laughs> I mean, if I thought it mattered more, I'd look more, right? Agreed. Because I'm just looking at the environment. And I, I don't believe anybody can get reelected president in an environment where this many people are unhappy and this many people are unemployed. In the end, they, they, someone has to be the villain. Now, we are in unprecedented times. So, if, if, if the president can point people to another villain, then he can transfer some of that angst to that person. And then other factors can come to the, to, to the fore. The fact that the Democrats nominated somebody who's mentally incompetent would be one of those, for example. Somebody who has clear dementia could be a factor. But he's got to clear the initial threshold first. When there's an incumbent, it's always a referendum on them first. Not always, not only, but on them first. They have to, they have, to have an affirmative case for reelecting them. And then if they have an affirmative case, whether even if a majority of people don't even agree with that affirmative case, but it's credible. A majority of people at least affirm that there's a credible case, even if they don't personally like the other, don't like the incumbent. You can then make it a referendum on the challenger from there. But that's really hard to do, which is why traditionally most late deciders go with the challenger. Because if they wanted the incumbent, they would have likely already decided. Now, some of these old-fashioned metrics may not apply as much this year because of the, take a drink, unprecedented times in which we live, right? But the other reason we don't talk a lot about it is because I, I, I just feel like every time I cite one of these polls, I have to un, I do, uh, rewind of the last couple of cycles and go through a whole spiel where I'm unwrapping canards and the disclaimer is these are like the big pharma ads on television those 30 second ads where for 10 seconds somebody attractive comes on and says my life changed taking this drug and then the next 20 seconds is the disclaimer you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. it just feels like the disclaimer is longer than the analysis and as i told people i've worked with and for in the past whenever the explanation is longer than the accusation you've already lost so if, if the disclaimers take this amount of time and i constantly have to reset it then it's a pointless conversation But somebody recently decided to do some actual reporting analysis that you don't typically see. And I wanted us to highlight that here in this portion of the show. So an old friend of mine, Hogan Gidley, who's now working, he was working, he was the deputy uh, communications director for the Trump White House. He's now on the Trump presidential campaign. All right. And he recently appeared on Fox and Friends to talk about the president's polling, that it's bad. It's historically bad, actually, for a reelect. And he went back and forth on why he thinks the polls are fake. Not the, they, they're not seeing the same metrics within the campaign. Um, 
Brian Kilmeade took uh, exception to Hogan's categorizing Fox News pollsters as fake news and says, hey, I work with these people. They're not fake people. Back and forth. and went. I, I don't care about any of that, frankly. What I care about is the is this latter third of this column or this article that Daily, the Daily Wire did about this. Because it's it's a level of analysis that's not what I mean analysis in this case unbiased. Meaning I'm not I'm here here to cast a narrative. I'm just looking at here's what the data shows in, in, in relationship to the news. You know what I'm saying? That kind of news analysis. There's opinion analysis. That's a lot of what I do. And then there's news analysis. And that's, that's some of what we do. Now, I would say, you know, a majority of what we do is opinion analysis, but it, it's, it, we still do a lot of news analysis on our show. One of the things that Hogan was complaining about, and we heard this a lot in 2012, the whole skewed polling thing, remember that? There was sure. even a very popular Twitter account about skewed polls. Now, here's the thing about skewed polling. When, when you can trust them, and who knows if you can right now. I'm not sure you can, which is another reason why I don't spend a whole bunch of time looking at them. But when you can trust them, polls do not just measure people's um, uh, uh, partiality, but intensity. Because the people who feel the most committed about something or someone are the most likely to take the time to respond to the poll. You want to let people know, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like when you know you look nice, you're, you're more willing to have pictures taken than when you're not sure, right? Sure. Same thing. Okay. And, and so skewed polls provided that they're not way out of whack. Hey, we have a plus... Uh, 25 uh, Democrat sample in Ohio. Okay, that, that's propaganda. <laughs> All right. But if it's plus four or five and the state's pretty even, that's not necessarily flawed. It could, all, it could measure the fact that right now Democratic voters are more intense and they're responding more. And in midterm elections in the Obama years, we had Democrats complaining about skewed polls on the Republican side. And then it turned out we had those midterm elections, Republican voters were far more passionate about voting in those elections, and you saw those results, right? Mm-hmm. So the Daily Wire, they, one of the things that came up was the poll that Fox had in Pennsylvania. And they, they were debating this in this clip. And the Daily Wire said, hey, Fox News did a poll of Pennsylvania, conducted July 18th through the 20th. And the polling sample was as follows, 48% Democrat, 40% Republican, 12% Independent or other. Now, that seems really skewed, right? You have eight points of more Democrats, you're going to get a poll that's pretty favorable to Democrats, you would think, right? Okay. Okay. According to the Pennsylvania Department of State, as of June, there were uh, 4,092,693 registered Democrats in the state. Compared to 3,290,944 registered Republicans. Broken down by percentage, registered Democrats represent 47.6% or 48% if you want to round it up. And registered Republicans were 38.3%. Which means, if anything, the Fox News poll actually oversampled Republicans. Based on the demographic breakdown of voter registration in Pennsylvania. However, Hogan's contention, which is the Trump campaign's contention, is their voters are more passionate about their candidate. The voter intensity is on their side. 
right? If you look at the primary results, they point this out at Daily Wire as well. If you look at the June 2nd primary results in Pennsylvania, President Trump facing no real challengers pulled in approximately 934,524 votes, while Joe Biden pulled in 914,904 compared to Bernie Sanders, who had about 208,000. Those numbers show that, yes, I'm not, I'm not debating that there's more passion for Donald Trump than Joe Biden, because if you add up with Joe Biden and, and, and Bernie Sanders both have, it's considerably more, right? It's mm. a few hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand more votes than, than Donald Trump had. However, the numbers from that primary showed that 28.4% of registered Democrats in the state voted. But 30.5% of registered Republicans did, even though Trump's win was a foregone conclusion. So that shows that, that that's, there, there, that's real-time data that shows there is more fervor or passion for the candidate on the Trump side. That demonstrates that. Well, at the same time, it shows that its skewed polling sample is not out of the metrics of the demographics of Pennsylvania whatsoever. So does this mean the poll is accurate? No. Here's what it does mean, though. That fundamentally it is not flawed. The fundamentals of the Fox News poll are solid. But it doesn't mean its conclusions and findings are accurate. And here's why. Because when you see a poll in the media, I haven't reset this in a long time. Now's a good time to do so. When you see a poll in the media, well, provided it's a real poll, and not just made up whole cloth to say what we wanted to say. But when you see a real poll, you need to remember, those aren't the, the real-time raw numbers. They're not just reporting back to you. We asked how many people, this isn't Family Feud. We, you know, we polled 100 Americans on, you know, what, what's the worst thing that can happen to you when, you're, when your spouse leaves you? And here were the top five answers on the board. That, no, that's not what they're doing. Any, any schmuck could do that. Just make calls, check a box, and report back. Here's what everybody thought. No, the polls that you see are weighted based on the analysis of his, own, his or her own data by the pollsters themselves. That's where pollsters make their money. Their ability to interpret and then forecast based on the data that they accumulate. They're not data miners. They're data analysts. That's what pollsters are. A lot of times aren't even mining their own data. They hire call banks and people like that to do this stuff for them. Then the data is brought to them and then they determine and weigh what it means. And then you have to look at the accuracy of their ability to do that. Polling isn't just a snapshot in time. It's a forecast in time. It's what the person doing the polls thinks would happen based on the question at hand today. This is what people think today. But a good deal of what they think today is based on the analysis of the raw numbers, the raw data from the pollster themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that is how the Fox News poll could be fundamentally sound, right? It's not producing a, a, a voter breakdown any different than that much different than what exists in Pennsylvania now. If anything, it, it gave Republicans a point and a half break. And it, and, and there's also contention uh, that there is more voter 
passion on the Trump side, as Hogan is, is, is asserting, based on what we saw in that primary in Pennsylvania a month ago, month and a half ago. But that doesn't mean its findings are accurate. And I will say this. If, if, because in this, in this latest batch of polls Fox released, they also released a poll that showed by several points the American people think Joe Biden is of more sound mind and body to be president than Donald Trump. If, if I was going to publish that, I would have to come to one of two conclusions. A, um, these people are, this is, this, these people, this can't be right. That can't be right. It just can't be right. I must be wrong if this is my weighted analysis of what these raw numbers are. Or B, the question I asked is flawed because it's a redundancy. In this case, in my sample, people so dislike Donald Trump that they really can't give him credit for anything. And, and so trying to, trying to break it out to measure something specific like the guy who is the current president of the United States working 28 hour days, eight days a week versus a guy hiding out in his basement who has dementia when he does emerge from said shelter. I, I can't trust that people are that that if I I'm, that that I'm not really trying to find out if people sincerely have a dip, have an opinion on the mental faculties of each person because they can't see beyond their own bias of how they think each how they view either person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I can't think I, I want a different president, but I do think I'm a little concerned about Joe Biden's mental capacity. If 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 I'm if I come back with a poll that shows by like six points Americans think Donald Trump is is crazier and more mentally unfit than Joe Biden, then either my sampling of this is biased and sucks, or the question itself is a flawed question in my sample because it's just a it's another way of asking the same question I already asked, which is who do you prefer, right? Right. And most people don't want to admit they're voting for someone that they know is mentally not competent for the office, right? Sure. So there's no point in asking the question. Thoughts on that? You know, when I saw we were going to talk about this, um, I keep coming back. I don't remember the context we we talked about it, Steve. But remember when we came up with the uh, and it, it was a Trump tweet. The great um, the major the unspoken majority, silent, the majority. silent majority, has to do with the, it, you know if if the interpretation of this involves anything resembling an old silent majority, and we've talked about not existing, but there's no way. There's no way to overcome a Trump loss, but if there if there's a new silent majority out there, that to me that's what a pollster really has to find a way to tap into because that's what that thirty percent Republican um, appreciation uh, energy level mm -hmm. says to me mm -hmm. that there's people that aren't just status quo Republicans, but there are there's a drift there yeah. of something that's not traditionally measured. I I would agree. I mean, we had a poll last week that showed two thirds of Americans don't feel comfortable asserting their political views. So I think this is where if you want people to take your poll seriously over at Fox News, you have to have a little self-awareness. I mean, because I mean, you're going to produce a result that shows them that by a clear majority, people think Joe Biden is more mentally sound. I'm really going to doubt yes. the entire weighting of your findings at that point.
We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can also follow us on Parlor at Steve Dace. And then go to our new YouTube page, YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. That's where we post free clips of this show that you can sample yourself and then share with others. If you're one of our podcast listeners thank you very much to all of you if you haven't done so yet already make sure you hit that subscribe button leave us a five-star review if you like us if you don't don't lie but maybe just keep that opinion to yourself if you do like us maybe even a little bit though totally embellish that all right and and give us a five-star review thousands of you have done this for us already uh keep those coming they they not only boost our fragile self-esteem but they for whatever reasons i don't know how it works that the algorithms if they see people like a show will then help that show find other people to like it so that's how you can help us help you so this hour for our Monday town hall, I want us to have a conversation as meaningful as we possibly can about something that is on the front burner in a lot of sectors in America right now, and that's racial reconciliation. But a couple of ground rules on this. I, I want this to be as apolitical as absolutely possible, because in my own experience walking this road in the past, the the that was the only avenue to building trust and successful relationships was to was to destigmatize it politically and instead let's get together people each fearfully wonderfully made in the image of god just who look different maybe have some different experiences come from a different perspective based on their pasts that they bring to the table in the conversation but it's far more likely to be effective and meaningful if we remove the toxin of our political environment and just try to have these conversations as individuals. And a few weeks ago, I was introduced to somebody in my community, an individual trying to do just that. Watch this. When all the talking stops. What's next? I'm saying what starts right here, what's next is having a place for us to go so we can grow. Mr. Will Keefe's organization starts right here is exactly the type of organization that we should look to. See, I don't understand why people get so mad that I work with the governor or work with the U.S. senator who's Republican because I am a Democrat. See, for some reason, I feel like that the United States is called a divided state of America. I want to get it back to that real word, united. I'm going to work with anybody who is willing to understand the end game and making sure that our community is safe, our community has purpose, our community comes together, our community understands each other. See, the thing is, when I say together, I don't just mean one race. I don't just mean one party. When I say together, I mean us all. I thought that's what we wanted. And I'm going to fight for that. If you believe in coming together, building bridges, that's what I'm going for. And I think everybody should get on board with that. But if you don't, maybe next time, huh? Because we're going to keep moving. Let's bring him in. The man in that video is here with us uh, here today on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Will Keeps. Will, it's good to have you on the show, man. How are you? Man, it's an honor to be here, man. So tell us, first of all, let's get to know a guy named Will Keeps. Okay. Who are you? What's your background? 
etc. Tell us your story. Okay, um, from the south side of Chicago, uh, my mom and my real dad separated at a young age. Um, my mom brought home a man who we thought was funny. Well, he was funny. You know, um, he wrestled with us, took us places, but I had no idea he was a uh, predator. He called me downstairs at the age of seven years old, took me into the bathroom and he molested me. Mm. When I walked upstairs, um, I had no idea who I was anymore. I became angry, became selfish, became needy, lost empathy. Didn't even know what empathy was, but I lost it. Mm-hmm. Wasn't uh, I was this kid who liked to sing and dance, you know what I'm saying? And he just took that away from me. Even though down the years I brought it back, you know what I'm saying, a little bit here and there. But he took the joy away because I didn't know who I was anymore. And then I come to find out that my sister, who was nine at the time, was molested as well. And I didn't understand why she changed, why she became so angry and hostile. Uh, but when we had that conversation... We told each other what happened. And this man used to have us, uh, like, can I be real with y'all? Yeah. Okay. Keep it PG. PG. PG-13. Well, it was it was bad. And so what it did was it had me be so afraid of what's going on in my home that I thought I needed a whole nother family. So I decided to join the gang. So when I joined the gang, um, that got me in a position where... Uh, I was almost killed and I have a friend of mine that got killed right in front of me. And that put me in a whole, a whole nother state of mind. It was like my whole mind, I was losing it. You know, I felt like that my life was getting uh, less and less important. But the crazy thing about that is, is that no matter anything that I've been through in my life, I kept moving forward, but I didn't even know I was moving forward. I was thinking about all the things that was, the bad things that was happening to me that kept me moving backwards, kept me thinking backwards. But I was actually kept moving forward because I did graduate out of high school. I did go to college. Even though I messed up in college because I became a wild kid Mm -hmm. in college. But I kept moving forward to the point where I am today as being a father, a husband, and someone who's out here trying to help others who who probably been through the same thing I've been through or even worse. And I want to be here for the community, the, the lost community, the lost kids, the lost families. So that's just a brief uh, piece of my story. That's only like 2% of my story. The, the fundamentals of the story that you just shared, obviously given where you live, how you're brought up, who you live with, it may manifest itself differently. But I think this is why it's so important just to, first of all, have this conversation as individuals. Mm-hmm. Because there's there's scores of people, we, we, this audience is all over the country. And this is one of the largest platforms in quote unquote conservative media. And there's all kinds of people right now who don't look like you and maybe don't understand, maybe for them, when this kind of abuse happened to them, the the idea of joining a gang wasn't an option where they lived, but it led them down a path of engaging in behavior or making choices that if, 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 if they weren't broken or shattered by a betrayal like that, they wouldn't have made in their right mind, right? When, when, I, when, I, joined, when I joined that gang, 
I wanted that power, right? That respect, right? You know what I'm saying, right? And because I felt like and that protection, right? Because I felt like I wasn't getting protected in my own home, right? So I felt like I needed another family, yeah, to protect me. It's the reason why I may. Um, I was a, a girl. I was I was abused. That may be why I became super promiscuous. And now I professionally I sell that promiscuity, and because I think it gives me empowerment. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, I'm I struggle with it, and I'm ashamed by it. That that's why I wanted to start with the story of Will Keeps, because there's a lot of talk right now in our culture about hey, you need to listen, you need to listen. But but are we really having the conversation we really need? To, to to have re- to have reconciliation in the culture where I do you know how many there are unfortunately scores of people in this audience who already can identify with you mm-hmm. because they've been through a similar event they've been scarred similarly right mm-hmm. and I think that's why I think we need to start here Will I mean you're a guy named Will I'm a guy named Steve in the audience are different people with different names but nobody's coming to the table in this conversation exempt from any form of suffering mm-hmm. exempt from any kind of challenge or abuse or or mistake that they made that they wish they had hadn't and mm-hmm. i think that's getting lost in a lot of this conversation it is yeah so when you start there and you used a key word there i think empathy mm-hmm I think that is something that is sorely lacking in our culture right now. Oh, yeah, I lost it. And, you know, the crazy thing is, is that um, there was a story when I was in the hospital. Uh, when, I, when I got, when I was left for dead at 15 years old, I had to go to the hospital. My rival gang um, went back to that neighborhood and shot up the neighborhood. And um, a little girl got killed. Mm-hmm. Well, not my rival gang, the gang that I was a part of. Mm-hmm. A little girl got killed. And the crazy thing is, even though inside my heart I was mad that that little girl got killed. You felt some vindication. I felt vindication. Yeah, like somebody stood up for you. I was 15 years old, yeah. and, and, and I knew that that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. But, but I was trying to be something that I'm not. I was, I, was be, I, was, I was becoming something that I hated. Like, how do I not feel for this? Mm-hmm. How do I? How, and when I'm and when I am trying to feel for it, why am I fighting it? Why am I fighting it? Why am I saying I don't care? When I deep down side, all the way deep down inside, I care. But to everybody else, I'm like, look what they did to me. Mm-hmm. It's like I was selfish. You know what I mean? So, how did you end up back here in Des Moines? Um, I kept getting in trouble. Um, once I left college, um, I didn't went to college for two years and I messed up in college. So I had to come back to Chicago and I kept getting in trouble out here, man. If I would have stayed in Chicago, I would have been dead. And, um, I called my brother, my brother, he went to Drake university he was out here working. He had a family out here. I called my brother and I said, bro, I need to get up out of here. He said, what's wrong? I said, bro, if I stay, I'm, I'm dead because I can't, I can't stop. I can't stop being a part of what's going on in these streets. And even though I, I know a lot of people don't know this, I was signed with Mary J. Blige. I had a group called Laid Back that was signed with Mary J. Blige, but I was still like getting in trouble. And so um, my brother just said, come on. So I packed off, packed my stuff up, put it in my little red Jeep and I came to Moore Iowa. And when I came out here, I'm telling you, I was driving out here and I was like, where am I going? (laughs) 
I saw nothing. You know what I mean? I'm like, what is happening out here? And then when I got out here, and I um, found where my brother was at, and I uh, packed all my stuff out and moved in with him, he got me a job at this uh, restaurant called Garfield Restaurant mm -hmm. that was out here, because mm -hmm. he was managing that at the time. And so I started washing dishes. You know, so I came out, the first thing I was doing was washing dishes. And um, I just I just looked around and was like, man, I'm in a whole nother different, you know what I'm saying, state. I'm in a whole nother different city. Mm -hmm. But it was something that I, I needed. But I didn't think, I didn't know that at the time because everything was so slow out here. I was like, I was losing my mind. I was, I was quick, fast, fast, fast pace. Came out here, everything was so slow. I, I didn't even know what music was. I'm like, what are we listening to? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What, what is, or it was music that was that was 10 years old. I'm like, where's the new music at? So, but it was the best thing for me to come out here because it slowed me down. I needed to be I needed to be slowed down. Mm -hmm. You know, I met my um my wife, you know, I got kids, three kids. Um and I just built I just built a family and a foundation here. So again, this is where we're going to see some more um, commonalities here of the human experience. Uh, I lasted two years in college, mm -hmm. and I went from most, I was voted most likely to succeed in high school to flunking out of college, <laughs> because apparently they don't give degrees for just playing Super Tecmo Bowl and never going to class. That's all I did and, was play Tecmo Bowl. Yeah, and party the entire time. <laughs> all right? That's all I did. And I'm still paying for the student loans for those mistakes 25 years I'm later. I'm not paying for the student loans. <laughs> they garnished my checks. I was, I'm done. <laughs> uh, so I got, I flunk out of school. Um, I, I am way in over my head gambling with a local bookie and everything else, mm -hmm. you know, and I can't pay a debt. And I'm pretty sure this guy's going to break my legs. Uh, and I'm living in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Michigan. My grandmother was still back here in Des Moines. So I called her up, similar to the call you made to your brother, and said, I, I basically got to start my life over, over mm -hmm. again. I got to get out of here. I'm making terrible choices now. I wasn't maybe, well, I don't know. Maybe the bookie might have killed me. I don't know. But I, I didn't have a pull to, to get into th that particular manifestation, as you described, mm -hmm. but I was making very destructive choices. And so I called my grandmother up and I said, hey, I, can I come back to Des Moines, uh, stay with you? And just wasn't sure what I was going to do, but just start all over. Mm -hmm. And she said, yes, I was working slotting mail. I worked in the mailroom at Blue Cross Blue Shield. I was a mailman. Okay, hey, yeah. Man. So I mean, I, I literally, I, I, I tried to get a job managing quick trips because my cousin who was like my sister did that. I failed the quick trip managerial exam. I mean, I, I had to come back. I had to come here to Des Moines and start my life completely all over mm -hmm. again. Uh, just a, 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 a vat of wasted potential, basically. And I was bound and determined to do my best to waste it. And I came here and and uh, had a family member give me a break to try to start my life all over again and had to start from the very bottom in a mailroom to get to where I'm at right now, working on one of the largest platforms in the country. Well, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. What made you, from being a valedictorian mm -hmm. in, in high school, what made you uh, switch the game up? What was going on with you? Uh, just, you know what? You mentioned an issue with the father figure in your home. Mm -hmm. Uh, the stepdad that I had in my home, I realized that a lot of the things I did, I was always Mr. High Achiever, man. Sports, academics, I did it all, mm -hmm. okay? And I realized when I got to college and got away from him that I really, I did a lot of these things just to kind of get his approval mm -hmm. and get him to notice me and to like me, and it never worked. And um, I really didn't know who I was. I didn't really, didn't, like, similar story to what you said. 
really didn't have my own identity, didn't know what I was into, didn't know what I really cared about, what I was passionate about. And about the only thing I was really passionate about was chicks and Super Tech Mobile. Oh, yeah. That was about it. And video games and chicks it was. And so in the end, you are what you do, right? You are what you do. And I had to come here, similar story to yours. I had to hit the control alt delete button. I had to grow up. I had to become my own man, even learn what it meant to become a man. Mm -hmm. And and then eventually got married, had family, and that will grow you up really quick as well. And, but I had to hit a reboot as well. And I think, I think, do you see this part, this conversation that just took place in the last 10 minutes? Now, I am here wearing the kind of shirt, plaid shirt, that even most of the that most of the most uptight lily white golfers in the PGA Tour would probably <laughs> never come out wearing in public. All right, all right. Him and I do not look like. Uh, I mean, we we are we we are brothers. But can you? You would see, never see me in that shirt. No, no. no, no. All right. But did you see the commonality of the stories of, right. of our two lives here? How often do this does this conversation take place in our country and our culture? Just get rid of the politics and move it all aside for a minute. We're just people. Mm-hmm. And let's let's share our stories. And can you see how the difference in the in the areas of the country that we grew up in and what was going on in our neighborhoods made the temptations to act out different. His temptations to act out, joining a gang and stuff like that. They didn't we didn't have gangs in the suburbs where I hung out, okay? Where I lived. We had so the temptations are different. But the lure of why we were tempted to go to these places is is very similar. Very similar. We have a lot more in common than we think when we actually just sit down and talk to each other. And so that's what you're trying to do in our community right now, Will, mm-hmm. is you're trying to get people to sit down and talk to each other. To what end? What's the end game here? This is the thing. There was a story where um, I'm sitting in my living room and my 16-year-old, when he was 16 at the time, and my nephew was 16 as well, and they came into the room and told me that they had a, a friend, one of their best friends got killed. His name was Terry Harris. And they were supposed to go over there within an hour and he wound up getting killed by another friend of Terry's. Terry's friend killed him. Mm-hmm. Shot him in his own home because he was trying to steal some money. Mm-hmm. My kids came to me crying and was talking about what, was ha- what happened to Terry. And they was like, um, why don't you do something uh, about helping the community? Do a song about what's helping the community because I was doing a lot of other songs and stuff like that. But they wanted me to really tackle on what's happening in the community because they was hurt. And so I, I looked at my kids and I, I saw the pain in their eyes and I went upstairs and did a song called Wake Up Iowa. Within a day or two, I got this song done. And I um, asked a young man named Subject One to come uh, help me with this song. We did a video. The song went great. Uh, it got the attention of the streets and it got the attention of the police. The police loved the song. The streets didn't like it so much. The reason why the streets didn't like it so much because I said, when you walk outside your house, what do you see? You see houses, cars, and trees. When I walked outside of my house in Chicago, I saw nothing but gangsters, crackheads. You know what I'm saying? I was afraid to even walk the block sometimes, not knowing if I was going to make it through. Mm-hmm. And a lot of gangsters out here was upset about that message. But what I was trying to tell them is, I'm, I was like, there's, I'm not saying there's no gangsters out here. I'm saying that when you walk outside your house, what do you see? You see houses, cars, and trees. When you walk outside your house, the fire is not right there. It's like you go look for the fire, and then you bring that fire back to your home. I'm saying we don't have to do that. We don't want to be a mini Chicago. 
we want to be safe and so I decided to have my mission to say look I'm about to go out here and really try to save the lives of the young men and young women no matter if you're black white Latino Asian if you're lost I want to be a part of it if your family's lost I want to be a part of that I want to be able to help that and so what I did was I decided to build relationships through my music so I started having uh, police chiefs in the music videos. I started having governors in the music videos. I started having mayors in the music videos, uh, firefighters in the music videos, senators, uh, representatives. You know, I started having community leaders uh, start having kids, going into the schools, having kids in the music videos, acting, dancing, doing all that stuff so I can build. Uh, I was it, was it was like I was showing them my superpowers that I always had within me, but all of a sudden now, I was learning how to use them in a big way. So I wanted to build relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship because I tell everybody, in order to be successful, in order to beat the streets, in order to beat the gangs, in order to beat the drug dealers, I have to look just as beautiful as them. So I needed all the power that be to help me make that happen. I don't care if you Republican, I don't care if you Democrat, I don't care if you none of that. If the end game is to help our community become better, to grow, to have purpose, I'm down with that. So I got a lot of hit for that. And in my own community I did, not all, not all of them. But some people really, you know what I'm saying, like dug at me like you're a traitor, you're Uncle Tom, you're a hypocrite. You can't be on both sides, you gotta choose one. And what I'm telling them is I chose my side, I chose the side that God told me to choose. And that is to bring us together to be that bridge. And that's why I built these relationships. I got the most beautiful relationship with Governor Kim Reynolds. People get mad at her so bad right now. I be, and they be calling me and saying, Will, what's up with your girl? Why she doing this? Blah, blah, blah. I said, that's the governor. You think I can tell her what to do? Well, I can tell you what she is doing. She's helping me help our community. Now, you ain't going to like everything that she's doing. You ain't gonna like everything that I'm doing, but if we both doing something to help the community, we don't have to agree. But at least we're doing something to help the community. So if I don't like what you're doing, how you're doing it, I'm not gonna bash you on social media, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't like how you're doing it, but I know that you're doing it for a good reason, but you just went another no, route. You, 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 there's empathy established because you have right. a relationship, right? You went, you went another yeah. route. Yep. So I'm saying, okay, go your route. If your route works, and that kid or that parent or that uh, family over there getting help, or you brought people together because you went your route, then thank you. Mm -hmm. If I go my route, see, I knew that I, I, when it comes down to black organizations out here, there's only certain ones that are known out here. So I had to put myself in, this, in a position to say, look, I need to get the message that I want out. So I need to build my own organization and that organization is called Starts Right Here. And what I mean with Starts Right Here is that we're starting over. We're gonna press the rewind button and start over. We can be sitting right here going through some problems right now, but it starts right here. It could be a year later from now and you sitting at that table and you going through something right now, but you know what? It starts right here. So I wanted people to understand once you, go, once you get a part of what we're doing, the movement, and even the building that I'm building right now, when it comes down to education in this building, um, mental health will be in this building, a safe place, studio, uh, game room. Uh, I got a, pro a program called The Porch. 
But I'm in Chicago, we used to always sit on the porch and talk about girls and we roast each other, right? Mm -hmm. But a serious conversation always happens on the porch. An oasis is what you're building, yeah. right? so a sanctuary. We, so we actually go to build a porch inside the building so we can actually sit down, so we can have dialogue and really talk and have a free conversation. It's like we're talking right now, just mm -hmm. have that conversation on the porch. And if we disagree, and if we disagree on something, let's, let's try to come with a solution. But if we still disagree, I'm not mad at you. Let's go get something to eat. Mm -hmm. Let's go get something to eat. We just disagreed. I don't want to hate you. You shouldn't hate me. So when, I, when it comes down to starts right here, man, I want to build relationship. Like with Journey Earth. You see Journey Earth in the video. Man, I talk to this woman all the time. But I don't look at her as a, a Republican. I'm talking to Joni Ernst, who happens to be the U.S. Senator. Who wouldn't want to have that conversation? Right. But I don't get into all the politics, though, because I'm not the politics guy. When people start talking to me about politics, I'd be like, not my lane. That's probably why you have a chance. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not my lane. I'm not even joking. That's, that's probably why you have a chance to accomplish what you're trying to do, is because politics has ruined a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's why the first time we introduced you to our audience, and I know you have to go here in a few minutes, mm -hmm. I wanted to spend that entire time giving them a chance just to get to know you. Mm -hmm. Because I think so little of that, which is just such a basic starting point for human relationships, so little of that goes on in our culture on a daily basis. If there's people in our audience right now that want to learn more about your organization, can you give them an idea of where to go? Um, they can go to uh, startsrighthere.org. Um, S-T-A-R-T-S-H. Nope, I messed up. Startsrighthere.org. Startsrighthere.org. Yeah. Let's do it again. I'm going to do it again and get okay. it right this time. All right. S-T-A-R-T-S-R-I-G-H-T-H-E-R-E.org. Go there and you can see everything, man. We we got a beautiful board. I've, I've visited the facility yep. that you're that you're you're in the process of uh, building it right now, mm -hmm. which is basically going to be a sanctuary there, right in the heart of the city. And we we have to raise a lot of money to get it done because just like I said earlier, I, I need to look just as beautiful as a drug dealer. So when the kids walk into our building, I want them to not just see walls. I want them to see something beautiful and see that a black man with a do rag on his head made it happen. Mm -hmm. And because I made that, and, and the reason why I made it happen, because I built relationships, even if I disagree with some. Building relationships is very important. We got about two minutes here before we have to let you go. If, if there's somebody listening right now, anywhere in the country, and they're inspired and they want to know, Hey, how can we do this? How can we get past the politics and build some of these bridges here? Can you take about the next 90 seconds or so and just give them some encouragement or practical steps or experience from what you've learned? You tell me. Yeah. Yeah. If you know, if you've got what encouragement or advice you could give in like the next 90 seconds. It's not about what you've been through, but it's how you get through. We all, since we all, we had the conversation about our past. Mm -hmm. It's not about what you've been through, but it's how you get through. We all go through something. Let's get through. And when it comes down to, to building relationships, we're not going to always agree with everyone. That's impossible. And if you agree with something that everybody says, you might be that puppet. You know what I mean? But my thing is, is that it's okay to disagree. And so if we're going to talk about equality and talk about having the right to speak, then I, yes, 
I don't agree with you on certain things, but you have that right to say it. So I'm not going to condemn you for it. I'm going to respect you for being brave enough to, to, to say how you felt. So if I'm, so are we fighting for that, let's make sure we fight for it a hundred percent and make sure even if we don't agree with you, that you can still say what you got to say and not crucify you for it. Let me give you some encouragement about the minute we have left. Hold out making this about politics on any level for as long as you can, preferably forever. Mm-hmm. That That is... Um, the the situation will become increasingly more toxic. It's going to become increasingly more divisive and dumb. Like if it was like toxic and divisive, but like meaningful, we could find some way to put it aside and still do some of the things you're talking about, Mm -hmm. but it's just dumb and petty, you know, Uh, with social media and everything else. And I think the fact that you've done that is why you have made such a big dent in a, in a relatively short amount of time, brother. And mm. I want to see you be successful. So thank you for coming down here today. Amen. Thank you for having me. And we'll do it again sometime. All right. Yeah. Now you've got to go. We're going to sit here and probably talk about you behind your back. When okay. We do back. that. You okay. With that? Let everybody listen, really quick. T- tell everybody listen to my music too. Listen right. to the music video. Starts right here. Dot org. Right. Starts right here. Dot org. All right, man. Thank you very much. We'll thank appreciate you. it. We'll come back in a moment. main reason we are buying so many supplements nowadays is because the good stuff has been stripped out of our food. You know, those vitamins, minerals, nutrients, antioxidants, prebiotics, probiotics, omega oils, etc. Stripped out of our food for mass consumption, long shelf life, mass distribution. And if you leave all that stuff in there, um, then, you know, the, the food spoils faster. So you want it to be fresher longer. So you take that stuff out. Unfortunately, that's the stuff we need from our food the most. So we need to put it back in for our own health. And that's why the supplement industry has become one of the most lucrative in the world. Well, sadly, the same thing has happened to our dog's food as well. If your pet loves the dry dog food stuff, chances are all the good, healthy eating that he needs it's gone from his food and diet as well. That's where Rough Greens VitaSmart comes in. It is not a new dog food. It is a premium dog food supplement. So if you've got an established food your dog already loves, you don't have to change it up. But if my dog, Cap, is any indication, your pet's going to love it even more because Cap loves this stuff. You sprinkle this powder on top of their existing food, and that's it. That's all you got to do. All the good stuff that was taken out is now right back in. And did I mention that our dog loves the taste of this stuff? So if you want to try the 14-day Jumpstart bag today for just $14.95 to see if you see a difference in your dog in 14 days or less, uh, just go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze again roughgreens.com slash blaze all right so todd and aaron let's bring you into this conversation now as we continue on reacting our monday town hall topic this week a a true look at racial reconciliation and you guys were here listening to the conversation that will keeps and i were having i'm not even going to ask any kind of a leading question i just want to get as john mclaughlin used to say reaction right so reaction to the conversation, and, and then we'll take the conversation, uh, our conversation from there based on your reaction to it. Aaron, I'll start with you. The first thing that really stood out to me um, 
was the symmetry. <laughs> Just sitting here, the symmetry of you and Will's story. It really is quite amazing um, that we're told we couldn't have more differences. It was just not too long ago that we went through on overtime that graphic that the uh, one of the branches of the Smithsonian put out about uh, so-called white culture. That's all of that is reinforcing that we couldn't be more different. We couldn't be more separate. We couldn't be more divided. And for that reason, we need to achieve this political end or this uh, cloaked of cultural end. Cloaked is something else. When at the center of it, the things that really matter, the things that really matter in our lives, that shape us, that forge us on the paths that God has put us on and that he's led us through, the things that really matter, there's really that not that much difference at all <laughs> between uh, you and anybody else. And it doesn't matter the pigmentation of their skin, the things that really matter. There's not a whole lot of difference. And yet we're told every day that there are differences and that we need to accentuate those differences and even elevate other people's differences above our own. The emphasis on the differences instead of what we just heard, which is what truly unites us and that we are all broken people. And yet God, through his good grace, redeems us through the cross and makes us and forges us into something that we could have never imagined of uh, in our broken states. And that's what we heard throughout the course of that conversation. It was one guy, one broken guy with an amazing story interviewing another guy with an amazing story who was broken in his own life as well. We don't hear that hardly at all because well, for one reason or another, most of their culture doesn't want to hear that. Most of our culture has no interest in propagating those types of stories, yet they're still out there. What does Todd always say? The truth is still out there. The truth is out there if you want it. And so that was my big takeaway from that story. Apart from the amazing, amazing work that Will is doing now and how God is using him now apolitically, which is in and of itself a miracle, uh, these days, uh, apart from that, just hearing the story of brokenness from both of you and how there is a lot more and the things that unite us, uh, there are a lot more things that unite us than what divide us. And the things that unite us tend to be the things that matter the most in life. Todd, what do you uh, think? I like what he said about needing to create something more beautiful. Uh, than then what they're going to and most people say well gosh that's not hard look at gangs and drugs and violence or whatever but that's see that's the thing and he said it in his own life those gangs were beautiful to him way more beautiful than the abuse he was coming from in my early to mid-20s i was a counselor at adolescent drug uh and behavioral rehab so i know what he's talking about that it doesn't necessarily make sense to us i don't have i mean i'm i'm broken but i don't have a broken story like uh, uh steve uh or our guest did will the, the simple fact of the matter is though we race off and do dumb things because those dumb things 
to us for various reasons look beautiful and stunning the whatever it is the risk of it the perceived glory in it, it and we, we we absolutely have to understand that in that false reality the reality genuine reality you provide them has got to be more beautiful and the church is perfect at providing an example of how it's done a terrible of course eternity it speaks for itself doesn't it eternity uh forgiveness of your sins but we do such a bad job of making that reality more beautiful than anything else it looks dull and boring and so people choose otherwise so that's on us he gets that it's incumbent on us if it's the greatest story ever told and it's not coming through your mouth as the greatest story ever told, that's a you problem. He gets it with the front porch and what he's talking about, how you meet them, how you tell your story. Uh, man, I hope uh, this thing has wings. So when I asked him to tell his story, there were parts of it that I knew. I did not know about the abuse and stuff like that in his home with the father figure. This is the first I heard of it. I mean, I, I knew that he... Uh, had a past with gangs in the streets and it cost him uh, doing some things like athletics in college and stuff like that. But the other part of this, I had no idea. I didn't know any of this. I, I learned it when the audience did. Uh, but here's what I did know. I knew this. I knew that if I asked him to tell his story and then just got out of the way and let him tell it, it was going to be a story that would be very similar to stories we all have or have heard. Because there's really not that much separating us when we actually just sit down and listen to each other. The politics are toxifying. The human interaction and the empathy that goes along with hearing someone else's story when you genuinely want to hear it, that's what's unifying. I mean, the reason that he went into gangs at the, with the, as the answer to the dysfunction is his, in his home, and I didn't, isn't because he's black and I'm white. It's just because that wasn't glorified in the neighborhoods that I grew up in. Other things were other 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 temptable activities were and so i was lured into those instead you know in the white suburbs we didn't have gangs you just sat around and just played video games all day and lost your life in that instead lived a fantasy experience which is what the gangs offer the fantasy of a family the fantasy of wealth the fantasy of power that's you know it's not that different guys and, and we're being sold this idea that there is a chasm of human experience we couldn't possibly comp comprehend and understand. And you know why? Because the conversation is fixated on the human experience and not the human condition. They're separate. I, I don't know what it's like to live in the kinds of places that he talked about. I don't. And for all the mistakes that he made as a father, I'm very, to this day, very grateful of that Dave always had a job, usually a good paying one, provided well, 
I got to go to virtually every amusement park in America that matters at least once. We took great vacations, went to ball games. It wasn't always bad. And I'm thankful for those times. I remember them fondly now, years later. So I don't understand that experience. I don't understand that experience, right? But when we got to talking about what led us into our various experiences, the human condition, that I do understand. The innate need, desire for a dad, for that dad's approval, guidance, the innate desire as a man for significance. The innate desire to want to crush my enemies. Which can at times lend me to lay down my life for my loved ones and, and be used as a good thing, right? But then at other times, as he described, it can become selfish and destructive at the same time. See, there's a difference between the human experience and the human condition. When we see each other through the prism of the human experience, it seems like how in the world could the black guy with the do-rag and the white guy in the ridiculously uptight plaid shirt, how could they possibly find any common ground, right? Mm -hmm. But when we talk about the human condition, suddenly we're not brothers from another mother, aren't we? Absolutely. The stories have amazing, as you pointed out, Aaron, amazing parallels. Which is nothing under the, uh, under the sun. I mean, there were white people locked arm in arm with MLK uh, back then at that time. This, there's nothing new under the sun as, exactly. as, as far as concerned. This is why, by the way, I believe that the only way to have real reconciliation in the culture is through the church. The culture doesn't want to acknowledge the human condition. It, it, it's still pretending we can all just hide out for a vaccine that may never come and that we can crush a virus if we just put diapers on our faces and lock each other's freedoms away. For an indefinite period of time, we can't define Japan, the Philippines, Hong Kong had months and months and months of 100% mask mandates, all seeing an increase in cases as we speak. Israel, Germany, Spain, all locked down. France. France divided the country into like green zones and red zones. Like it's friggin' Chernobyl, man. The, like, like we were at the, the Battle of the Marne, still dropping mustard gas on each other. Guess what they got? surging cases in there see what what we want to believe is that the human condition is just fine and there's only one institution on this planet that knows better and that's the church the church knows the human condition is the problem the problem I've quoted him so many times on this show over the years, but this is one of my favorite quotes of his. When the, when, the, when the Daily Mirror asked 
G.K. Chesterton to take part in a roundtable conversation with various other renowned thinkers at the time on what's wrong with the world. He famously wrote his op-ed, and it was one line. What's wrong with the world is me. Meaning the human condition is what's wrong with the world. We're what's wrong. Our brains are busted. And so often the people that we need, our, our deepest needs met through, are broken and can't meet them. Or because of their brokenness, they then break us even further. And then we go out and look for destructive ways to get those needs met. Further breaking ourselves and damaging those caught on the other end of the equation. And the cycle just sits on spin into perpetuity. I mean, I could have summed up what Will Keeps told you here, Romans 7. He's like, I was blew my mind. I'm still like going to class. I'm graduating. I'm playing ball. And I'm doing all this really dumb stuff. The good I want to do, I don't. The evil I don't want to do, I do. What a wretch am I? Who will save me from this? There is nothing new under the sun. The human condition is both the problem, but also what we all have in common. And when we recognize that, by the way, that's where grace comes in. Because then we recognize, man, I'm... Dude, your your toxic sludge looks different than mine, but, you know, I'm still on the Richter scale over here at my house. Not my place to unfairly judge you. Doesn't mean we don't have any standards. It just means I'm not the here. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here to call you into account. I'm not qualified to do that. I'm. I'm stuck in the same mess you are. So how do we get out? We need to put the conversation back more on the human condition. That's where we're going to find common ground less on the human experience. And here's the other thing we never did. I never asked him once to speak for black America. Nor did he ask me to speak for white people. I talked to an individual named Will Keeps. He talked to an individual named Steve Dace. Just one of those individuals happened to be black and the other one happened to be white. Stop anointing proxies and spokespersons for millions and millions and millions of people. They can speak for themselves. Each person can. Value them as individuals. Well, I know, but the media, we don't have to play along. Why why play along? We don't have to do any of that. I hope that this gave you some encouragement. That this is at least possible. If we want to, we're going to stick around, do some overtime on hydroxychloroquine, an amazing piece from Newsweek written a few days ago by a Yale epidemiologist. We're going to discuss it there at blazetv.com slash days for the rest of you back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.